Okay, Josh. So you speak the language of games very well, especially video games. Um, you are, you know, you love the format and you're good at it. I do. And I'm yep. always amazed at what you can accomplish with a game. Well, thank you, actually, because I never really knew my skills were coveted by people. <laughs> I've been quietly jealous of you for years now. <laughs> One of the great memories is going to your house and sometimes just uh, playing a game with you or sometimes just watching you play because it was actually really entertaining to watch. It was what we call the uh, Let's Play of 1995. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It played out very well. Um one thing I think a lot of people don't realize, though, are that when you play a video game or something like that, there's a lot of uh, problem solving and other skills you bring to it that most people think, well, it's just a game. Right. But there's really things in there that when you flex like your, your intellect or your problem solving skills, it really comes to bear in platforms like that. So today we're going to probe into Josh's mind about the constructs of gaming to learn a little bit more about how he approaches things, how he understands patterns in games, and goes out and conquers things. So, think about this as we launch out onto the loop and discuss the constructs of gaming, today on Curiosity Continuum. Hey everybody, this is Brian. And this is Josh. Thank you for joining us today on Curiosity Continuum. For those of you tuning in for the first time, Curiosity Continuum is a podcast and movement started by two lifelong friends who wanted to spark your curiosity, help you integrate information, and enhance your everyday contextual awareness in a constantly changing world by sharing our conversations with you, where we explore, examine, and reframe common practical topics. If you want to receive updates, and you know what, you know you do, come on. Um, Everybody, just yeah, and and you want to know when new content is available? First of all, subscribe to us, please, on any podcast app using Apple Podcasts, you know, Google Play, whatever you're using, please um, subscribe, and then you know, so you can receive notifications when we have something new to listen to, which is every Monday. We also appreciate you. We appreciate everybody, and as always, you can also find us on curiositycontinuum.com. From there, all of our social accounts, and we thrive on your feedback, and we want to start a conversation with you. So this particular episode, as jumping into it, uh, kind of as a, a riff again on one of our most popular episodes, actually, called The Lessons of Zelda. And we kind of went back, uh, hit some nostalgia things, talked about some of our uh, childhood love of that particular game. But we want to broaden it out a little bit and kind of give context for the world of gaming. The way that video games kind of first came out, I think, was interesting. And as Josh and I talked about it, it influenced how games kind of became when we were little and then how they've evolved today. Could you just even start, Josh, by sharing how like arcades and everything started and then how games were designed? Okay, so I want to take it way back to even before like arcades were a thing. Um, there was a guy named Ralph Bear. And Ralph Bear was basically, we would consider him like the father of modern video games. He actually just passed away like two years ago, maybe. And he was in his late 90s. So he kind of came up with the idea of something displayed on a screen with a goal. And he worked for um, he worked for Magnavox. 
So he came out with what was called the brown box. I know it seems weird to hear about that kind of stuff, but it was basically the precursor to Pong. And it had um, all of the features of Pong on it. So it had kind of like the two paddles and you kind of play up and down. He had other games that he made, which was like ice hockey, stuff like that. You put overlays on your TV screen to get different colors. It was really kind of interesting. So he took that idea and he kind of ran with it and it just kind of stayed in that kind of realm until Atari kind of picked it up, kind of made Pong. And then everybody kind of got like, oh, we can make a little more complex games. We can put them in a pay to kind of like play area. So people came up with the first arcades. And this was the late, I want to say late 70s, early 80s when these arcade machines started showing up in you know, your favorite pub or bar or wherever you just kind of hung out with your friends, laundromat, you know, wherever you hung out or wherever kids were, these things appeared and everybody was really intrigued by them. So you would put a quarter in at the time or five cents or whatever it was at the time. It was a quarter is what it started at and you would get to play. So the way these games were designed, they were designed to be difficult and they were designed to have challenges. And sometimes the challenges weren't fair. The challenges were you're going to get to play for 30, you know, 35 to 40 seconds on one quarter. And then you're going to put another quarter in and play. So it was really designed to get your money out of you. So that's kind of where we kind of left off. There was a big kind of like video game crash in the early 80s where video games kind of oversaturated the market. And then it crashed out. And video there was companies that went bankrupt basically magnavox almost like their gaming part of it went bankrupt so that kind of went away and atari kind of like picked up like they went bankrupt almost went bankrupt nintendo kind of picked up what they went what they were doing off the grounds so they kind of picked up this up and everybody's like you know video games aren't going to be profitable they're not going to be something we're going to do today but they kind of picked it up and they kind of saw where to iterate on that so they came out with you know donkey kong and other things like that shigeru uh, miyamoto who is to gamers is like he's basically like our rock star you know he's the guy who came up with uh donkey kong mario uh, zelda pikmin i mean some of the best gaming franchises in, on the planet he came up with and so that's kind of where, like, where I, my story starts with games is kind of in Nintendo. I mean, I, I did start with, like, Pong. I did play Pong at a friend's house. Um, and it was the early 80s. I did play a Pong, a Pong kind of like a TV Pong machine. I don't know if you ever played one of those, Brian. Have you? I never did, no. Okay, so it's like a standalone box kind of that hooks up to your TV. And you can play Pong on it. And you can have two people. It's just, it's a simple machine, but it, it, it was kind of like where I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, then he said, hey, if you think, and my friend said, hey, if you think that's cool, come in my room. I've got like little arcade machines. He had little, like little standalone arcade machines because he had spent a lot of time in Japan and he was, okay. uh, his parents were missionaries. And so he got all this stuff that like we had never seen over here. That really until just today, in today's world, kind of today's 
time is kind of coming over the U.S. These little standalone arcade machines that actually sat on your desk, and they use batteries. So it was kind of like kind of cool. So he had these kind of games. Then, then I kind of got and I saw he had a Nintendo. So I was like, oh, what is that? You know. And he put in Mario Brothers, and I was like, that was a game I had only ever seen, and I saw one time at an arcade at like a laundromat. And I was intrigued by it from the very beginning. And I was I was young. I was like in kindergarten. I was like, I would want to say five or six years old. Okay. And so some of my first memories of that were kind of like watching that. It was very interesting. And I want to kind of uh, interject here too. You know, when you said, you know, your friend spent a lot of time in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, just people who lived through the 80s will remember this. But for those who don't. Sometimes the international connectedness that we appreciate and just enjoy today as, <laughs> yeah, a, as a bygone It, it wasn't thing, around, yeah. It was not around. And it, so when you saw something like that, you go, oh my gosh, like how did you even know about this? And the only way that you would is if like you actually physically went to the place. There was no videos to say like, here's the thing. And if you saw it, I mean, you'd have to get a VHS if you had a VHS or catch it on TV when they decided to broadcast it. But that was it. Otherwise, you had no knowledge that these things were even around. Right. And I mean, you didn't have any knowledge of it. So it was it was a totally foreign thing to me. I was like, wow, this is really cool. So when he had like the Nintendo, and that is actually something that came out in the United States, but I didn't have one. My family, we just didn't have one, period. We had an Atari and we were playing, you know, we were playing Asteroids and everything. But we didn't have this game like Mario Brothers for example which was super or Super Mario Brothers I should say so when I did finally play it it just floored me and I wanted to do anything to get that in my house <laughs> <laughs> start the scheming now yes and everything so I was like to my parents I'm so in in this point in my life I had seen one and I was like wow that's really cool and we had we were just transitioning as a family. We were kind of transitioning out of living where we were living there. And my, my dad, my dad got another job and my mom wasn't working at the time. She was just taking care of us three, but my dad was like, well, we got to move. So we moved to Monticello where I met Brian like a year and a half or two years after we moved. But so when I, we actually got up and moved, I was like, okay, how do I get one of these things in my house? And so I was kind of a, a troubled kid a little bit. I wouldn't even call it troubled. I would just call it a, a kid with um, just issues with authority, which I think most kids do. But my parents, so my parents said, hey, if you don't get in trouble in school for like six months, we'll buy you a Nintendo. So that's where that whole thing started. Aha. Uh-huh. Right. So I was like, I was like the perfect kid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did everything. I would came home from school and I'm like, hey, can I wash the dishes? Can I do this? Because I was also thinking, like, how do I save money for games? Because I knew games cost money on this, you know. So anyway. So, so it's basically a game to get the game. Yeah, basically. So to make a long, kind of a long story short, I was good enough to get the Nintendo. So I got the Nintendo and I was in second grade when I got the Nintendo. Um, that I actually got it in my house. So then I started playing it. And I started just being enamored with like the puzzles of it and the 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 kind of story it was telling. It was telling a story. You know, you were going from and we did talk about this in our um our Zelda episode. We also talked about it in Saving the Princess. 
which is another episode which I highly recommend you listen to. It's funny. And um, you can find it at Curiosity. Continuum. Yeah, you find it on our socials and everything. It's there. Yep. But it was a good story. It was the story of a time. You know, it was like, okay, I'm I'm doing something, I'm putting in work, I'm getting to this point. So it was a semi tangible reward for a story, for your work put in. Now I remember uh, when it came to reading time, like in school and stuff, you loved the choose your own adventure books. And it was actually yes. you that introduced me to those. And um, then I really, I'm like, going, oh, these are really cool. You know, I was not reading anything remotely like that. Did you find that those were similar things? Like you're putting yourself into that construct and you're making decisions because a I book, it, a, a book is just a pure linear, but this was more like you could interact a little. I love the choose your own adventure books for one thing. I think they were the, I loved making the decision. And there were some some of those books you open up, you choose your own adventure. It's like the first you first choose it, you go to that page, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> you might not have been dead, quote unquote, but you were floating in space for an eternity. So <laughs> you're like, okay, you basically go dead. back to page one. And I did not like cheat. I was not one of these people that like jumped ahead. Every time I went back and read those. So I started off at page one again. I'm saying, okay, don't make that choice. Make the next one. Hmm. So I, for me, that really did scratch that itch of, you know, you have agency over your own choices in your own life. I like that. When, um, tell me, tell me why you didn't cheat. I, I think sometimes I would actually just flip the page. <laughs> Right. I might have cheated. But why didn't you want to cheat? What was the why did you want to go back through the process again? Um, I like first of all, I think I like the repetitiveness of it. I also like knowing that I was successful up to this point and then this is where I made either a mistake or you know, it might not in, in choose your own adventures it's not always the mistake. Or in games it's not the mistake. Like you might your journey might end here and that's okay. But I always wanted to see where I could take it. Hey everybody, this is Josh. And I just wanted you to know that this is a uh, part one of a two part episode. Both episodes have downloaded separately and we just want to give you a chance. If you don't like this or you're don't find it useful for you, this is a good st uh, spot for you to kind of like tap out and go along your way and along your week and we'll see you guys again next week so if you do want to hear hear it or hear the next episode just keep on listening